Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. We're your co-hosts. Today, we're excited to welcome Jerry Cahoon to the podcast. Jerry, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, we're so glad you could make it today. Just to give a brief introduction of our guests before we jump into our questions, Sister Jerry Cahoon was called as a member of the Young Women General Advisory Council in May of 2020. So that's a very interesting time to be called, right? Yes. As the pandemic was really hitting. She was born and raised in Southern California, and she and her husband, Kevin, are the parents of three children and have eight amazing grandchildren. She received her degree in interior design and is CEO and principal designer in her own firm. And this is so cool. She's gotten to be a designer for the temple department for several temples, which we'll get to as well. Sister Cahoon loves missionary work. She served with her husband as president and companion of the Mexico Saltillo Mission, and she served in the presidency of the Salt Lake Inner City Mission, where they worked as senior missionaries in Spanish and Portuguese wards and branches. So I'm just so excited. You have so much to offer as far as experience and insights, and we're really excited that you were willing to be here today. Thank you. Well, I'm very good job pronouncing Saltillo. Most people don't. So you did a good job. <laughs> Thank nice you. Job. So Shaylin highlighted, I think, something right off the bat that just kind of jumps out to us in your experience in design and working with the Temple Department. And in particular, you did interior design work for the Gilbert, Arizona Temple, which is such a neat thing to be part of. And we would love for you to share more about this experience. So I work with my daughter-in-law, which is very unique. And we've had some amazing experiences. But one day I got a phone call. And it was from Architecton, and they were the architectural firm working on the Gilbert, Arizona Temple. And they were in need of an interior design team to work with them. And they asked, so what are you doing for the next five years? And oh, wow. would you be interested in helping us with Gilbert? I didn't know what to say. I was like, uh, yes, of <laughs> course. Because when you go inside the temple and you look at the design, it's just so beautiful and perfect. And as a designer, I always thought that would be so great to be able to have that opportunity. And here it was. So, of course, we said yes. And we began a journey that was absolutely amazing. So we were in charge of everything inside the temple from the grand chandelier in the celestial room to the tissue boxes in the bride room and everything in between. I can tell you that I didn't have any miraculous experience. Like I could say, oh, the Lord came down and said, this is what I want. But we were led down pathways that we were able to find the perfect fabrics, the exact furniture, the artwork that reflected the love of the Savior for His children. So I can tell you that in our little, we called it our temple design room, mm -hmm. we could feel the Spirit there. And we had some wonderful experiences of being guided and led. It was five years of overwhelming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It was a little bit stressful. But as an outsourced designer, which is what we were, we work with the interior designers at church headquarters. So we bring them what we find, and they say, yes, that's it, or let's try something different. And then they take it and present it to the brethren for approval. So, yeah, like I said, we just had an amazing experience. For me, I could see in my mind 
that one day that this temple would be dedicated and the Savior would walk these halls and he would touch these fabrics and he would look at these pictures. And so that was always my guiding source of strength is that I wanted it to be my offering to my beloved Savior and my Father in heaven. So after we finished Gilbert, we were able to get more work on temples doing what the church calls R&I work, which is restoration and improvement. So whenever the temples are closed twice a year, that's when we go to work. But everything has to be planned before. You know, you have to pick out the fabrics, you have to get the carpets, you have to get the contractors all lined up so that when the temple closes, we just get in, get it done, and get out. So that's been so fun. But then when we were called to go on a mission, my daughter-in-law continued doing the interior design work. And then about a year and a half before we came home, she called me and said that she had been approached by a local design firm that wanted her to come and be their temple designer. So Dana continues to work on temples, and she's doing an amazing job. So every once in a while, she'll ask me my opinion and say, help me pick out fabrics, or what do you think about this? So I still get to do a little bit of design work, which is my love. It is my love. I love hearing this perspective because the design of a temple is something that we all experience when we tend a temple, and we maybe don't think about how that impacts our worship or our experience, but I'm sure it's a huge part of what we feel and experience in a temple. Can you tell us more about how this opportunity to work so closely on the design of a temple changed your perspective of temple worship or the covenants that we make in the temple, how that impacted the way that you feel and think about those things? So I worked in the Salt Lake Temple as an ordinance worker for many years. So I've always loved serving and attending the temple. But to go from concept to creation and all the little layers that go in between to building a temple to create an atmosphere where the Lord's children can come and receive His love through ordinances and covenants, and where families are tied together for eternity, where they can come to feel His peace and to leave the temple endowed with power to do what we're asked to do. That took on a whole new meaning for me. Like, I felt a lot of responsibility that I needed to do this and do it right. And so I always prayed that I would be led, that I would be guided. I have to say, when I do go to a temple, I look around, <laughs> and like, oh, they did a good job. And I can see the things that we were taught. It's just amazing that so much thought and so much heart and soul and prayer goes and into talent. creating these. I have to say, you know, you just building your own business to even be able to get there to have that skill and that talent. Yeah. And what a blessing. What a blessing to the world that we are now building temples all over, that they dot the world so that more can have that blessing in their life. I love it. I just love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Jerry, in a previous conversation, just to switch gears a little, you mentioned that though you had been a member of the church since you were a child, it wasn't until later in life that you received a witness that the Book of Mormon is true. And when you mentioned this, I just could think of our listeners, and I just know that you're not alone in this. We think that people will really appreciate hearing more about how and why you were so faithful and devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ during your life, and we'd love to know also how your answer eventually came. Well, I grew up number six of seven children and I grew up in a faithful home. My parents taught by example, and I loved them, and I believed them, 
and I followed them. And it just always felt right to me. So you know how the scriptures say some will be blessed to know for themselves and others will know upon the testimony of another. And that was kind of me. I just felt that it was right. So I was just faithful. And then I married a faithful man. And we tried to create that same faith-filled and joy-filled home for our children. And so when I was 32 years old, I just say, okay, this is it. I graduated from seminary. I had read the Book of Mormon several times, but I wanted to know for myself. And so began my journey. So it was early in the mornings. I would get up before my little ones got up, and I would pray that the Lord would reveal to me that He was real, that He knew me, that He loved me, and that this book that were His words was true. And I would get up from my knees, and I would get on my exercise bike, and I would put the Book of Mormon right there in front of me, and I would start to go. (laughs) Day after day, I followed this same pattern. And it wasn't until I got to 3 Nephi, and it was in chapter 17, verse 5, and I'll read that to you. And it came to pass that when Jesus had thus spoken, he cast his eyes round about again on the multitude and beheld that they were in tears, and did look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer with them. And in that moment, I saw myself in the multitude of the believers, and the Savior of the world looked into my tear-filled eyes, and I stopped pedaling, and I thought, what was that? Did that really happen? And so I went back and I read it again, and it was the same exact experience. And I knew from that day forward in my mind, in my heart, in my whole soul, that the Book of Mormon was true. And that was a sweet and precious moment when the prayers of a longing child were answered. So I've never doubted. I've never gone back. I've never questioned. And that's how I came to know the Lord for myself. I really appreciate you sharing this. Thank you so much. And I just think, too, that you cherished that experience and maybe you wrote it down or somehow you've kept it in memory. And as you said, you haven't looked back. You've mm-hmm. trusted in that witness that you received. And I think we can continue to ask to be strengthened and to have our testimonies reinforced and remind me again of what I believe and what I know to be true. Exactly. But I think that that's a lesson for me in those moments when we do feel the Spirit witnessing of truth to us that we can cherish and hold on to those moments. I do go back to that moment often. I do. Well, Jerry, when I'm hearing you share this experience, I hear a lot of patience, a lot of hard work, Mm -hmm. a lot of diligence. It didn't just come. And I think that's amazing. I think that's a lot of people's experiences. And so I hope that's encouraging and inspiring to them too, just to keep going. And the fact that, you know, you relied on the testimonies of your family members, probably your friends and leaders at church. I've had that experience too. And I just remember fairly recently, Elder Holland on social media was talking about testimonies. And he's just like, if you are having troubles with your testimony, he's like, lean on mine. My testimony is strong, lean on mine. And I just think that that's kind of a reassuring concept that maybe a lot of people need to hear is that that's okay. It is to lean on others' testimonies, even if it's for a short period, if it's for a long period of time. If you just focus on feeling the love of God and knowing that you're His child, I think that's what's most important. I love to go back to Elder Ballard's, just stay in the boat. 
you know? Yeah. It's going to get better. Mm-hmm. It's stay in the boat and rely mm-hmm. on what you know. Don't let yourself be swayed. I do want to ask, I'm thinking about, I'm a young mom. I try to wake up early sometimes. <laughs> but I'm just thinking of if you had started at the beginning of the Book of Mormon every day praying and studying, to wait until 3rd Nephi is kind of a long time. Yeah. What kept you continuing on this path, trusting, like, I think that if I keep doing this, I can get an answer, or I hope that what I believe will be strengthened or reinforced? Well, I was trusting Moroni's promise. And it was before Netflix, so there wasn't anything to watch while I was exercising. (laughs) So I just persevered. I mean, I was going to give it my all. This Mm -hmm. was my time. I was going to do it. So I just didn't let it sway me. And even if I've gotten to the end of the Book of Mormon, I still would have believed. But a lot of times I feel like the Lord says, okay, now you're humble enough to hear what I have to say. It happens a lot. I have to turn myself over to Him and go, I don't know why. I don't understand, but I trust you. Mm -hmm. I believe. And then he says, okay, here I go. Here's your blessing. Here's what you prayed for. Thanks so much for sharing that insight. So also, as Shaylin mentioned in the introduction, you have this love for design and you have a love for missionary work. And you've had some really great experiences in missionary work and one of those serving in the Salt Lake inner city mission. So working with senior missionaries in Spanish and Portuguese wards and branches in the Salt Lake area. This is such a unique calling. We were saying we haven't talked to someone on the podcast who Mm -hmm. served a mission like this. And we would be very interested to know more about that experience and your responsibilities. So the inner city mission, we like to say it's the best kept secret in the church. It is an amazing ride. I'm sorry I keep saying the word amazing, but (laughs) (laughs) incredible. It was incredible. There's probably 400 missionary couples, so 800 service missionaries. So that's about the size of six proselyting missions, and they serve throughout the valley. And I would say 600 of those missionaries serve on what we call the English side. So they are in English wards, Tongan wards, Cantonese, and refugee wards. And then there are about 200 that serve on the Spanish side. And that's where we served. We started out as just service missionaries in a ward. Then we went up to what they call a lead couple. And then my husband was called to be a counselor in the mission presidency. And we served under two different mission presidents. And it's all about helping them become self-reliant. We incorporated programs where they learned to speak English and they learned how to budget finances. We taught them computer skills so that they could get a better job. We helped tutor their children. We even taught them piano because there's not a lot of people that have pianos. So we'd attend lots of wards where they were singing a cappella. It could be a little frightening. So we (laughs) helped those that knew how to play the piano offered piano lessons too. And then we helped them with their older children to find financing through loans, grants, scholarships, so that their children could attend college. Because most of those that come here, they come here for their children Mm -hmm. and for their children's education. And so we help them to accomplish that goal. And what's wonderful now is the church has created this pathway And we pushed that when we lived in Mexico because the church will bring education to them. 
and they can get an education and never have to leave Mexico. But the key is, is that they have to speak English. And so we pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, become fluent in English. My husband used to always say, if they had an English companion, learn from him. And the English learn from the Spanish. Spanish. Uh-huh. Yeah. In the street, always Spanish. In the house, English is what he would say. So what we did for those missionaries in the inner city was we watched over them. We trained them. We helped them in any way we could for them to be able to fulfill their assignment from the bishops and branch presidents on how the bishop felt that they needed that help and support. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. And I wish more people knew about this mission because it's amazing that for whatever reason, there are couples who don't feel like they can leave home yet. Some might still even be employed, but they have the opportunity to serve. And there is such a need to help the poor among us. And so get online, look Mm -hmm. it up, and go out and serve. Yeah, this is a great message for our listeners and even maybe some listeners that have parents or grandparents that might be interested in something Mm -hmm. like this. And Because I didn't know that there was such a tremendous amount of work. And it's so important. I just Mm -hmm. appreciate you sharing. Well, this is like the core of the gospel is to care for the poor and needy. And this is a mission that— And I'm just thinking, too, there's going to be lots of people listening who don't live in Salt Lake City. And I think it's maybe an invitation to find out what opportunities are available Mm -hmm. where you live— to help serve the poor and needy in your area, either through the church in a calling or through deserve.org, there are going to be opportunities where it's like you can live at home and you can be helping mm-hmm. meet the need of the needy in your own community. You mentioned that there were 400 missionary couples. Are there opportunities for single women to participate too? So we had two sisters that served together. They were friends and they decided they were widows. And so they wanted to come and serve. And we're kind of a companionship uh-huh. together. Uh-huh. And we even had two young return missionaries that had served in a Spanish-speaking area, and they wanted to serve. So they came together, too. And they were amazing. They mm-hmm. were just amazing. Well, so I was, I'm thinking these women have so much to offer mm-hmm. and could do uh, remarkable things. Yeah. So this is such a great message, too. It doesn't matter your life circumstance or where you are. There's opportunities to serve. Right. Mm -hmm. So you highlighted a little bit that you also served the inner city mission, and then you and your husband served as mission leaders in Mexico. Tell us more about that experience. Like you've said, it sounds like for you, a big part of that is serving the missionaries and helping them beyond just their mission. Right. So you would think after being nine years in the inner city that I would have learned to speak Spanish, but I didn't. So even though I didn't learn the language, I did learn to love the Latin people. I loved their hearts, their love for their neighbor. I loved their food, their Mm -hmm. culture, everything about it. So I did learn to love the Latin people. So when we received our mission call and we were going to Mexico, it felt perfect. Even though I didn't speak the language, I learned how to speak the language of love from them. And so we were called straight from the inner city to go to Mexico, and that was an amazing ride. But talk about a hard learning curve. I went to Mexico not knowing the language. Driving and navigating in Mexico is very hard. MapQuest does not work there. And I didn't understand the pesos. You know, you go in the grocery store and it says a thousand pesos and you're like, oh my gosh. And I didn't have any friends there. 
It was hard, and there were some days that I just cried. I felt so alone, but slowly I learned. And it was always the love of our missionaries that got me up in the morning and got me moving. And always my husband, he was always there with me, and Mm -hmm. he is the best. He is the best. He included me in everything, in the transfers. There were certain things that he couldn't include me in, but most everything, we were side by side in this calling. And memories to never be forgotten, and missionaries forever loved. But it is 24-7. There's no letting up. And it is hard. But people ask me, would you do it again? And I would. I would because I was carried. I was sustained. And I felt loved. So my experiences being a mission leader with my husband was wonderful. And I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity with him. Thank you so much for Mm -hmm. sharing. I think we see so often in church leaders' bios, you know, oh, they served as mission presidents, and often it's the male leader, and we assume, oh, there's a wife there, and they probably were just having fun and smiling, you know, and it's just great to hear what that experience was actually like, and Mm -hmm. also to hear that you, like I'm sure many, many, many mission presidents' wives are, were a partner in this effort to lead hundreds of missionaries Mm -hmm. and care for them and teach them. It's really great to hear about that experience. Thank you. You've had a lot of major assignments and callings, I feel like, over these last several years. And one of them that we mentioned in your bio, you're currently a member of the Young Women General Advisory Council. You were called during COVID, and I'm sure that was just such a unique time to just jump into these new and very significant responsibilities. So we would just love to know kind of what have you worked on so far, and specifically, what have you learned about your capabilities and talents from this calling? So unique is the right word for this. (laughs) I was called and set apart by Elder Gong and Elder Suarez with rubber gloves and masks. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then we just had to jump right into training. I was called on the same day with a lovely woman, Yvonne Hubert, and she and I have become best friends because mm-hmm. we're learning this together. And mm-hmm. I and she's doing a much better job. She's catching on a lot quicker than I am. <laughs> I but, don't believe that. <laughs> but she, she and I just call each other and say, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? And it's wonderful. But we had to jump right into these Zoom trainings. Virtual training was a thing. It is. It is, still is. And I'd never done Zoom before. I'm not very good on the computer. And so it was a big learning curve for me. But what is amazing is as I'm training these leaders, so so we've teamed up with the young men and we train together. And so we train, most times it's the whole coordinating council. And so we've got lots of stakes on these calls. And so when I'm training them, I'm learning myself. So it's been great. I have to say it's not my most favorite thing to do to train, but but I'm learning to love it, and I'm learning to grow, and I love to see the faces of these faithful brothers and sisters on the screen. You know, I, I sit in my office, and I'm talking to a computer. Yeah. And so it's not the same as being there in person, but I've never had that experience yet. So I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm doing the best that I can. But some of my other responsibilities are that I sit on two area councils, so the North America Southwest and the Utah Area Council. And I also am over, they they call them AOAs, Area Organization Advisors, 
for Mexico. So there's three sisters there that I help train and answer any questions and just kind of guide them through their calling. And then I sit on three committees with these sweet sisters. And the one thing that's unique in my responsibilities is I have been called to learn to speak Spanish. (laughs) After all these years. After all these years. (laughs) This is the third time the Lord's called me, so I'm taking it seriously now. But the day that I was called, Sister Corden put her arm around me and said, so tell me about your Spanish. And I had to be truthful. I had to say, well, you know, I really didn't learn it all that well. And she said, well, would you be willing to try? And I said, sure, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll try. And then two days later, I got an email from one of the secretaries saying, we've set you up with a tutor down at the MTC. So this is when you're supposed to start. (laughs) So like I said, three times. So I guess I, I better take it seriously this time. But, you know, I have this wonderful friend. She's in my ward, and she overheard me talking to someone who said, how are things going in your preparation for your mission? And I said, well, not only am I trying to get my house in order and finish my design jobs, but I've got an MTC tutor that's trying to teach me the basics of Spanish, and it's just not going well. And I was just tied up in knots about it. And so this friend of mine who she and her husband have served in Spanish areas. She put her arm around me and she said, Jerry, you know, the Lord has called you because of who you are. So you just go find yourself a great translator and you just love the people down there because sometimes that window has closed and it's just not going to work for you. So, (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I took her advice and I moved forward with that. And one other thing that I wanted to say about my mission is that my husband and I were called to speak in many, many state conferences. And so we would both stand at the pulpit together, and he would put his arm around me for support, and I would give my the thoughts of my heart in English, and he would express it in Spanish. But what was so wonderful is the feelings of my heart were the feelings of his heart, too. And so we were able to share our mission together. And he was always so good to have one of our missionaries right by my side to translate for me. And so, again, I didn't take advantage of learning to speak Spanish. But Sister Corden has asked me to. So, mi español está mejorando. So my Spanish is improving. (laughs) Great. No, I love this story. This story is great because— You kind of had other things to focus on during those times. And, you know, your friend saying that windows closed. I bet there's so many people who feel that way about so many things in their lives. And it's just cool to know that maybe that window can open again. Has opened again. Yeah. Yeah. If I give it my heart and soul. Yep. (laughs) But what that did for me is it helped me to relax and go into the mission knowing I can do this. Mm -hmm. With the language or not, I can do this. So thanks for helping me walk down memory lane. (laughs) (laughs) But I have a tutor now at the MTC, and she is amazing. I don't like the stress of learning the language, but Julia is an angel. And she puts up with my crazy schedule, and she's always so patient and so supportive. So I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. And I'm sure that's such a great way to learn, having a tutor at the MTC. She's wonderful. What a great resource. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something you said before we were talking about the language when you were saying that you were called to this calling and you were new and it was such a 
interesting time. And in the church, we're sort of just thrown into things. I know some people feel like, well, I haven't really been trained to do this. Nobody's really explained exactly how I'm supposed to do this, but I just have to show up and act like I know what I'm doing. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that, to women who are thrown into these callings and do so willingly, but probably with a lot of fear and discomfort. You know, what would you say to encourage them or to say, you can start where you are and you will, like you said, I'm learning, I'm growing. Maybe you could speak to that. Well, there's a lot of deer in the headlights for me. You know, every uh, new assignment that I get, I'm just like, okay, I will do this. I will go forward in faith. And I just have to trust the Lord that who He calls, He qualifies. And it is a lot of faith and trust that we have to do. So what's funny is I used to think of these things as when I was a teenager, my friends talked me into going on a roller coaster ride. And I knew I wouldn't like it, but I didn't <laughs> want to disappoint my friends. So I got in, I strapped myself in, and I held on tight, and I closed my eyes, knowing eventually it would end. And so when things get hard for me, that's kind of how I approach it. I just <laughs> grip my hands and get through it. But while I was on the mission, it became more that I was putting my hand in the hand of the Lord, and He guided me. And he directed me, and he gave me the courage to do things that are hard, and he helped me stand. So for those women that feel overwhelmed, I know what that feels like. But put your hand in the hand of the Lord. Envision him holding your hand and guiding you, and you can do it. And as always, my darling husband's there to encourage me. And even this morning as I'm leaving, he says, go get him. <laughs> go do it. So that's what I would say to them is just hold on to the hand of the Lord. That's a beautiful image. Thank you. I think that's very helpful. Jerry, again, we're switching gears. Previously, you shared with us as we talked with you and before this interview that you had experienced infertility and that two of your children were adopted. And we are so grateful for your willingness to share about this part of your life because we know it's an experience that many women have. Through your experiences, what have you learned about relying on the Lord? And what would you say to others who may be going through similar challenges in their own lives? Well, as I said before, I grew up in a large family. And so that was all I ever wanted to do was be a mom. I just wanted to have a, a beautiful family like I had grown up in. And I'd gotten pregnant fairly quickly with my oldest child. And so when we were trying again, it was hard. I didn't understand why. And most people who struggle with infertility know that every month it is a heartbreak mm -hmm. when you can't conceive. And so my husband and I decided to go to the doctor and find out what was going on. And what we found is that I have endometriosis. And the doctor said, well, well, we can do certain things, and let's see what we can do. And so began a journey of surgeries and fertility drugs and, you know, whatever. We even went up and talked to the U, and it was brand new with the in vitro fertilization. And we talked about adoption, and we even went to the church's adoption agency and talked. But it just didn't feel right to us. And so we both decided that we had this beautiful little boy. And I was going to focus all my love and all my energy into this child. I was just going to feel joy for life because of the blessing that I had. And then again, see, it's like me saying, okay, Lord, I'll do it your way. 
and I turn it over to you because I don't understand. And then the windows opened because my husband got a phone call from a dear friend who knew of our situation. And she said to my husband that she had a friend whose daughter was pregnant and wanted to know if, if our friend knew of anyone who would be willing, wanted to adopt a baby. And that was us. And so two weeks from that phone call, on a conference Sunday, while the choir was singing, I am a child of God, we got a phone call that our beautiful little daughter was born. And two days later, our attorney, who was also our good friend, brought our daughter home. And I kind of was a little bit afraid. I wondered if I could love a child that wasn't my own. You know, would it feel like it was babysitting or how would I feel about that? But the first night that she was home with us when I was changing her diaper and getting a bottle and she was crying and I said, it's okay, mommy's here. And it was true. The Lord opened my heart and filled it with the love for this beautiful, beautiful little girl who came to us in a miraculous way. And so I was happy. I was content. I was filled with joy. And then in 1988, my mother-in-law was in the final stages of her battle with cancer, and we had gone to say goodbye. And the hospice nurse told us that she probably won't respond, but the hearing sense is the last to go. So just share what's on your heart and tell her what's going on. And so when it was my turn, I expressed my love to her and told her all about Brandon and Ashley and how big they were getting and how much joy I had in being a mother. But I said, when you get to the other side, if there's another little one that needs a home, we have room for one more. And she passed away um, that day. That was in October. And then in December, we got a phone call from our attorney again. And... Um, the birth mother of our Ashley had found herself pregnant again and wanted to know if the family that took her little girl wanted a little brother to grow up with her. And of course we did. But we believe that Andrew was handpicked by his beloved grandmother and sent to us. So again, my life was full. My life was filled with joy. Our family felt complete. And then something happened. I remember it was a Saturday because we were having a garage sale and something wasn't right. And I, my husband said, you need to get out here. People are starting to come. He could see that I was in trouble. And so he called a good friend to come and be with the kids, and he took me to the hospital. And when we were there, I heard the words that I'd longed to hear for so many years. And that was, you're pregnant, but there's a problem. And I was experiencing an ectopic pregnancy and had to have emergency surgery. And I, uh, I have to tell you, I was, I was broken. I was shattered in all kinds of little pieces because it kind of felt like a really bad joke. Here I was content. I felt fulfilled. I accepted that this was going to be my lot. And then this. And so I was mad. I didn't want to get out of bed even after I healed and my cute little family was, you know, it's okay, mom, it's okay. But I was mad. I was mad at the world and I hate to say it, but I was mad at the Lord. But over time, and again with the, the blessings of my sweet husband, I healed. But it was a long process and I still 
Not sure why, but it was another reason, another time to put my hand in the hand of the Lord and just say, I don't know why I had to experience that, but it has given me empathy for those that can't have children or have miscarriages. And my daughter experienced at 18 weeks, I believe that's what it was, the baby just died. And we were on our mission. And um, I got this terrible phone call from her that the baby had died and she had to deliver a stillborn baby. I was able to help. I could relate to her and her feelings. And so maybe that's why I had to feel that. But life doesn't turn out the way you plan it a lot of times. You know, I was we were supposed to graduate from dental school and live in California, and I was supposed to have this huge family, and I had a plan. But if we trust the Lord, we believe Him. Most times it turns out even better than we had ever dreamed it could be. So that's what I would say to them is just believe, just trust, and things will work out for you. Thank you so much for sharing those really raw and deep parts of your mm -hmm. heart and your experience and being willing to admit the way that you felt when those things happened, you know? And I think we search for meaning and sometimes it's not clear. And I do think that empathy is always something that we can gain from trials and challenges. And it's beautiful that you can, from your heart, really say, I understand mm -hmm. as people are experiencing these very difficult things. So thank you so much for sharing. I know that I'm like weeping over here, right. <laughs> but I know that people listening will really appreciate. And I know people in my own life who will appreciate hearing as you reflect back on these experiences. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate you sharing these tender moments. And I just know that as you share this story, people will know that they're not alone in these feelings. I mean, as you were sharing, there's such a wide variety of joy, heartache, all this trust that you're putting in, disappointment, just all of these things that yeah, we're just, we're not alone in that. And I really appreciate you sharing. And I've got a list of questions I'm going to ask the Lord when I get on the other side. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think we've talked about faith being an answer throughout, you know, these different challenges that mm -hmm. you've experienced. And I think sometimes we forget that faith is being in the darkness and not really seeing a path or light or a reason and that's what we profess to be. We profess to be women of faith. And sometimes I think that's hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm supposed to be faithful right now. Like right. I'm supposed to have faith and that will, that's what's going to help me take this first step. That's right. Well, and I appreciate, I feel like a theme of this episode has been trust in the Lord. And I feel like you've shown that in all of these different circumstances in your life. In conclusion, we would love to know, Jerry, is there anything else you would want to share with the women of the church or those listening to the podcast? Yes, there is. In part of my young women responsibilities, I visit different young women classes. And if they ask me to share some thoughts at the end, I like to say to these young girls that they have a light that they can share with a world that sometimes feels very dark and confusing. So let that light shine and stand as a witness of the goodness and the grace of God. And I think we as women can model that for our girls and, and for all of our children, that even though this chaos is whirling around us, we can create a home where there is peace and there is love and there is safety. I have hanging by my front door, it's a portion of my patriarchal blessing that it says, your home will be a place of refuge 
where the holy angels will watch over and care for you and your family. And that's what I try to share with these young girls. The new children and youth program is so inspired that we are teaching these young youth and even children how to receive personal revelation at an early age so that they can stand and they can be firm and they can be a light. But it's going to take all of us. It's going to take mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, cousins, young women leaders, and the youth themselves to support each other and to lock arms with each other and say, we can stand and we can be a light in this chaotic and confusing and dark world that we're living in right now. So it's a message of hope. Mm -hmm. It's a great message of hope. On the Young Women Medallion, and I, I should have worn it today so you could see it, it's a little circle of the temple that everything we do takes us to the temple. But there's also a little diamond that hangs on it that reminds them that they are a light to the world. And so that's what I would like to leave with the women, that they are a light too. And I am grateful for every opportunity, every challenge, every blessing, every chance that I have to stand up and say, I believe and I love so thank you, sisters. Thank you so much, Jerry. I just really appreciate how much you've brought from your life as far as, you know, your lessons learned, your insights, your growth, and just all of these stories that you've shared. Thank you for opening up to us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's been so wonderful to meet you and to hear more of your story. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We have new episodes released every week, and we hope you'll continue to tune in and share these wonderful episodes, these women and their voices and experiences with your friends and family. We have been so grateful to hear from so many listeners via email and on Apple Podcast Reviews, and we hope you'll continue to share your thoughts and feedback. We treasure those, and we love hearing from you. Feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any suggestions for topics or guests. We also want to make sure as you're thinking of people in your life that you can particularly share this episode with, we want to make sure you're aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. In addition to being on the church's website, it's also available on the Gospel Library app, Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere. Tune in, subscribe, and please continue to share these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. We'd also like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast. Until next week, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.